right. Good morning, everyone. How are we feeling today? Happy Father's Day. Nobody. Come on. Give it up for the dads this morning. Let's go. Man, we need like to bring the coffee in here for every single one of us, uh, I guess, this morning. Uh, good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. If I've not met you, uh, my name is Matt Powers. I also want to welcome everyone who's watching with us online right now. It truly is an honor that you chose to spend your morning with us today. As we are in week three of our series, Long Story Short, where all month long we're talking through stories of the Bible. And we know, like, the big stories. We know about David versus Goliath. We hear about Moses, Noah, and the ark, Jonah, and the well. We know about Jesus and the crucifixion. We know these big stories, and they're awesome and great, and we love to hear them. We love to talk about them. But... There's so many stories in the Bible that kind of go under the radar that a lot of us don't remember, and they're amazing too. So this month we're taking some of those lesser-known stories and really dissecting them uh, because they do matter to us so, so very much. They're so important to us. And the theme verse that we're using is out of 2 Timothy. It's chapter 2. It's uh, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us what to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. It's all scripture. It's from the first word to the last word and everything in between, all scripture is inspired by God. And we, week one, we talked about the story of Jabez that you'll find in First Chronicles. Not a lot of people know who Jabez is, and he was the power of a simple prayer and how it completely changed his outlook on life and his trajectory of his life. Last week, we talked about Ehud, who is in Judges chapter 3. A lot of people have no clue who Ehud is, and Ehud was known as the left-handed judge, and he had a mission that was for him and him only. And he is willingness to be able to accept it. Being left-handed was deemed as not good and being weak and not able to do anything. Used that to his advantage to be able to do something amazing for Israel. And then today we have titled the message, A New Future. Where we are going to be covering the entire book of Philemon. The entire book today, y'all. All 25 verses. You'll find that between Titus and Hebrews because a lot of times pages may get stuck together and we'll just completely forget about it. But there's three people we need to know about in the story of Philemon. And the first is Philemon himself. He was a very wealthy Christian. He was a leader in his church that met at home and he would eventually die a martyr before, because of his faith in Jesus. Second person we need to know about is Onesimus. And Onesimus was a slave under Philemon because he made some decisions that weren't awesome. He made decisions that weren't too great. And he ended up not doing some really good things. And one day, Onesimus decided, you know what? I think I'm going to take all this money that Philemon has, and I'm going to hit the road and get on out of here. And he does exactly that. Whenever he does that, he meets our third character, who is Paul. And if you don't know who Paul is, he was once Saul. His sole mission in life was to kill every single Christian he could ever possibly find, to just eradicate the idea of Jesus from the earth forever. And then he had this major transformation where he became Paul, and he eventually wrote most of the New Testament. And what Paul is trying to do here is he's trying to write a letter to Philemon, who's leading the church, and he's saying, hey, Philemon, you're awesome. I love you. You're amazing. I got your boy Onesimus here with me. And listen, I know he did you wrong. I know he made mistakes, but listen, I've spent a lot of time with him. He's come to faith in Jesus. Man, he has completely changed his life. So what I would like to do, I'm going to send Onesimus back to you. 
And man, I want you to treat him just as you treat me. Act as if it's me who's coming back, and I'm going to hang out with you for a little while, and we're going to do ministry together, and we're going to do things together. Do you think you can do that for me, Philemon? And guess what? That's the end of the book. We have no clue what actually happens. It's just this letter that Paul is writing to Philemon saying, hey, this guy, I know you know him. I know he did bad. I need you to take him under your wing and, and treat him as you would me. We don't know what happens. That's it. So Philemon could have done what Paul asked him to do. Or he could have said, no, that joker stole all sorts of money from me. I'm not doing anything for him. In fact, I'm going to have him put to death because that's what the Roman law says that I'm able to do. We don't know what happened in the Bible. But lucky for us, one of the early church leaders who wrote a letter to the church of the Ephesians, and his name is Ignitus. And what he did is he wrote a letter, and he worded it in a way of talking to the, the church of the Ephesians and said, your minister and your bishop, Onesimus. So Philemon did exactly what Paul asked him to do. He was able to take him in, do amazing things together. Nations even says, the guy who was once useless to you is now doing great things for both me and you. Those are the same exact words that Paul uses in the book of Philemon. Just think about that for a second, that it was a decision by two men, Paul and Philemon, who completely changed everything for Onesimus. Because they could have easily said, no, this guy steals. He's no good. He made that one mistake one time. We got to get rid of this guy. But instead, they made a decision that, hey, we're going to use him because we've seen a complete transformation in his life. So why is that important to us? So Onesimus went from thief and slave to bishop and leader of the church of the Ephesians. Because for every single one of us, whether we're a parent, spouse, friend, coworker, there are people in our lives who have probably let us down at some point in time. There are people in our lives who are probably what we considered to have done us wrong. So how are we going to handle that today? And how could those decisions impact that person's life and the, per the people around that person's life? So we're going to walk through a couple things today that we learned from this letter that Paul sent to Philemon. So let's pray and let's see what the Lord wants to tell us today. God, we are so thankful for today. We're thankful for your word. Father, we just pray over your word. God, we pray that we'll receive it, that our hearts will be open, our eyes will be open, God, that we will just take in whatever it is that we need to hear today, Father, that we'll be able to use it. If there's people in our lives that we need to contact, that we need to look at, to maybe right some wrongs in our lives, God, I pray you'll bring those to the surface, and I pray that we'll be able to exit this place better than we walked in today, Father. We'll give you all the credit for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So number one, the first thing, if we're going to change someone's future, we have to forgive them. Ooh, I don't want to say, mm, forget. You don't understand what they said, though. You don't understand how much they hurt me. You don't understand what they've done to my family. I'm never going to forgive that person. That's the feeling a lot of us have. You don't know what they did. I'm not forgiving them. But look what Paul says to Philemon. I love how he does this. He says, I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Paul's saying, Philemon, you're amazing. I love you so much. I hear about all this amazing stuff that you're doing. It's just incredible. You know, every time I pray to God, I am thankful 
for you. You know, he's building them up a little bit because Paul's got a big ask. Paul knows what Onesimus did. He's got a big ask coming. He said, for all of that stuff, man, I am praying that you will put that into action. Because I got your guy Onesimus over here. Let me tell you, he's done some amazing things. And I think he could be a real, real benefit to you. Putting into action the generosity we have received from Christ. So today, what that means for us is, think about it. Who's betrayed you? Who hurt you? Who lied to you? Who mistreated you? Maybe it was a parent who your entire life, all you've ever tried to do is just make them proud of you. But no matter what you've done, they always make you feel small and insignificant. Maybe it's a friend who you thought had your back. And then whenever you couldn't give them what they wanted anymore, they stabbed you in the back and they turned the other way. Maybe it was a boyfriend or a girlfriend who constantly lied to you. And then they decided they were going to lie about you to everyone else. Maybe it was an authority figure in your life who took advantage of you for their own benefit and their own gain. We all have people in our lives who have hurt us in some way. We can't hold that grudge. We must forgive them. The Bible's pretty clear on that. And this, this is a place of forgiveness. Listen, if you walk in here and you've never needed forgiveness before, probably not the place for you. This is a place for forgiveness because we're not going to be like culture. What does Jesus say whenever someone's wronged you? His disciples say, how many, how many times are we supposed to forgive somebody? Jesus, once, twice? Well, what is it? Seventy times seven. Me and we are always going to forgive other people. It's that simple. But that's not what the world's taught us. Because now, if someone has wronged you in some way, it's over. They're done. They're awful. They don't deserve anything. If someone stands for something that maybe we don't necessarily disagree with, canceled, finished, we do something wrong, we say something wrong, we act in a way that a large group of people may not, may not agree with, it's it. We're bad. We're awful. We're evil. We're full of hate. We don't deserve any type of forgiveness. That's what we do here today. When I ask you, are you going to die on that same hill that we are here on earth when we get to heaven? What are we going to do? Like, are we going to stroll up into heaven? And it's amazing. Jesus is right there. He's high-fiving everybody. But there they are. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Them. You have no idea what they posted on Facebook in 2023. You don't know how bad that hurt me and offended me. Jesus, they can't be here. So what are you going to do about it, Jesus? Because if they're here, I'm out of here. Are we really going to do that? I mean, is that the stance we're going to take? Because we take it on earth, are we going to do the same thing when we get to heaven? No. So why in the world are we doing it here? We are called to forgive. Look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. Write this down as a reference. It's not in your notes. But Jesus says, and this is great, we love it. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. That's awesome. We love that. That's good stuff. But, number, but verse 15 is that scripture that we like to mark out and ask if this doesn't exist. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive you. That's tough. So you mean to tell me that person who may have said something that one point in time, I got to forgive them? Or he won't, yeah, that's, that's exactly what the Bible says. Listen, forgiveness is not natural. It's not fair. It's not normal. But it is so hypocritical of us to ask for forgiveness and expect forgiveness from the Father. And we refuse to forgive that other person. We are called to forgive other people. 
I get it, it's not fair. But forgiving others is the same forgiveness that God gave every single one of us. And here's the deal. Forgiveness is not always just for them. It's for us too. Why? So we will not hold on to that for so long to where we're so angry and we hate everyone and everything around us. Because Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 tells us, it says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. We must forgive people. We don't know how that's going to impact not just them, but the people all around them and ourselves too. But here's some things to understand. I want you to write these down. These are extras. This is what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not necessarily forgetting the offense. Forgiveness is not just rolling up and acting as if it never actually happened. Forgiveness is just that. It's forgiveness. It's not like whenever, uh, whenever Onesimus went back to Philemon, he didn't say, bro, you're back. That's awesome. Hey, you want to handle all the banking for me now? He stole all the money. It didn't work that way. But he forgave him. He forgave the offense. He's going to put the rest in God's hands. Forgiveness is not necessarily forgetting. Also, forgiveness is not a feeling. Guess what? You are never going to forgive if you wait until you feel like it. Bible teaches us the heart is most deceitful above all things. When you decide you feel like it, it ain't ever going to happen. It's just not. Forgiveness is also not excusing or condoning the offense. It's not just saying, I'm going to continue to accept abuse over and over and over and over and over again. And we're just going to say, that's okay. That's just the way that we are. It's not that at all. Forgiveness is the antidote to bitterness. It will get rid of the bitterness. The last thing that forgiveness is not, it does not always mean reconciliation. It doesn't. Now, it can easily happen. And it's a step towards reconciliation. Because, see, reconciliation requires repentance. So that person that may have wronged you in some way, or you even just think wronged you, if they are repentant of that, guess what? Reconciliation can definitely happen. Absolutely it can happen. Because when we forgive, we're putting it in God's hands. It's a command from God. We're putting it in the hands of God, saying, God, I've forgiven them. The rest is up to you to work on that other person. Forgiveness is just the cancellation of debt. We have to forgive other people. It's plain and simple. The Bible's really clear on that. Second thing we need to do is we need to love them. We got to love them. I know that's hard. We have to love them. Look what Paul says in verse 7. He says, your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother. Your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. He's saying, man, I love how you love people. Man, it gives me so much joy. I love it so much. It's amazing how you love people. Because listen, we've kind of misunderstood love. Because we love love. Look at all the TV shows. We love love. We say it all the time. Man, I love your shirts. Man, that new restaurant in town, I love it so much. Have you seen the new Netflix series? It's amazing. I love it. Man, I love your shoes. I love your hair. It's amazing. We love to use the word love. Because we think of the Hallmark movies whenever we think of love. It's just like that. We've all seen it. It's the same story every single time. Where a girl moves away to the big city, becomes some hot shot in the corporate world, and she travels back home to visit her family, and there he is, strapping, stunning, perfect hair, perfect eyes. He's chiseled. He's handy. He can fix anything. He can make anything. He's humble. He's kind to everybody, and their eyes meet, and they just seem to fall in love. But what she doesn't know is that he's holding a huge secret. He's actually filthy rich 
for an inheritance or he created something, but she doesn't know and he wants to tell her about it so bad, but he just can't. But she eventually finds out when she does, she can't believe that he would never say it because it was never about that before. And they separate and they're never going to be in love again. And then wouldn't you know it, they come together at the town square in front of the fountain with the water perfect. (laughs) The stars are sprinkling down. The sun is beaming down on them. They apologize to each other. They kiss and they live happily ever after. That's our vision of love. Because love is that easy, right? Have you met us? Have you met people? Y'all, people are difficult to love. But we're called to love them. We're called to love people. It's difficult sometimes, but we are to love people. Listen, when you look around the world today, and you look around culture, there's no forgiveness. There's hardly any love out there. And we see things and we decide, hey, we're going to fix all these problems in this way. We say, hey, we have a gun issue. That's our problem. If we can fix that, that's it. We have a racism issue. That's going to fix all the problems. We have gender issues or identity issues or we have political issues. That's our problem. We can just fix that. Everything will be okay. Reality is, when you look at the root of it, we don't have race issues. We don't have gun issues. We don't have political issues. Church, we have a heart issue. We have heart problems. Now, all of that stuff is a result of the heart problem because we don't love each other. We love ourselves. We love getting things. We love taking care of good old number one. But, man, we just don't love each other the way that Jesus has called us to love. The Bible gives a great description of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Here's the big one. Love never gives up and never loses faith. It's always hopeful and it endures through every circumstance. So self-assessment time. When we look out, do we love people in a way that it will never give up, where it will never lose faith, where it's always hopeful, where it will endure through every circumstance? Truthfully, do we do that? The answer is, it's probably not the case. It's difficult to love people, but Jesus has called us to love other people unconditionally, which is so difficult for us to understand unconditional love, because a lot of times love is based on something. Love is based on really what we're going to receive from it. Like, I will love you, but I need you to do A, B, C, D, and E, and F, and G, H, I, J, K, all that stuff, and then, then I can love you. But the reason we will do things that we don't necessarily want to do, that we don't necessarily like to do, the reason that we do things for people that we would never expect ourselves to do is because we have the love for those people. We do the stuff because we love them. We don't love them because we get the stuff. Unconditional love or otherwise agape love. It's a commitment of love that we're going to give to other people. Well, we're not counting the cost. We're not keeping the score. We're not going to make sure that it's even all the time. It's an unconditional love. And Paul's reminding Philemon of the unconditional love. Listen, if forgiveness is the antidote to bitterness, love is the antidote to selfishness. Think about God. So loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus. For God so loved the world, that means he loved you, he loved me, and he loved all the people that we feel are unlovable, and he gave us Jesus, even when we didn't love him back. Even when we didn't care about him, when we felt wronged by him, he still gave us Jesus, plain and simple. So why is it so difficult for us to love other people? The only last that loves is agape love, is unconditional love. 
C.S. Lewis says in his book, Mere Christianity, he says, don't waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you would love someone, you will presently come to love him. If we just try, if we just give an effort, if we don't quit the moment something got just a little bit difficult, watch out. To love people. Jesus commanded us, hey, told his disciples, he's telling every single one of us, I need you to love each other. In fact, I need you to love each other in the exact same way that, you, that, that I have loved you. In case you don't know the end of the story, Jesus loved us so much, he went to a cross, he was beaten, he was battered, he was bruised, and he died for every single one of us. That's how much he loved us. That's how much we should love other people, the exact same way Jesus did for us. And we forgive them, and when we love them, number three, we cover them. We cover them. We protect them. In other words, we say, I've got your back. No matter what the circumstance, I've got your back. We'll look in verses 17 through 19. Paul says, he says, so if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hands. I will repay it, and I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. Paul's saying, whatever that looks like, man, I got this. Hey, Philemon, I know he messed up. Listen, if he does anything, if he owes you anything, send me the bill. I got it. Doesn't matter what it is. I trust him. I'm going to cover him. I've got his back. So we have anyone in our lives who we're willing to go to bat for, that we're willing to cover? I can tell you, when you become a parent, you understand these things. That you'll do anything for your children. For me, for my wife, and for my kids, I will cover them through any circumstance. It doesn't matter what it is. No matter what they may have said that was so hurtful and so wrong, I'm covering them. I got their back. I'll, I'll take it. No matter what they've done, I got their back. I'm going to take it. No matter what it looks like, even whenever they knew it was wrong and I knew it was wrong and I hate everything about it, guess what? I'm going to cover them because that's what a father would do. It's what our father has done for us. That's what we should do for other people. We have to be able to cover them. That's exactly what Paul is asking here. Paul's saying, hey, whatever it looks like, charge that to me. I got this. When Thomas Edison created the very first light bulb, amazing discovery. It was unbelievable. He has it created. They're on the lab floor. He hand, gets the light bulb, and he hands it to a young helper. Says, hey, take this up to the main hall. Let's show this puppy off. It's going to be awesome. So he gives it to the young boy. He goes up the stairs to show it off in the main hall. Hey, look what we've done. And at the end of the stairs, he trips, he falls, and the light bulb shatters into thousands of pieces. Man, that had to be tough. I know a lot of us would go crazy over that. And Thomas Edison didn't do what most of us would do. He didn't react in the way that a lot of us would react. But he simply said, you know what, that's okay. We got work to do. So he and his entire team got together and they worked for the next 24 hours to go ahead and create another light bulb. And they did. And it was just as amazing as the first one. And whenever they did, he took the light bulb. He says, hey, it needs to get from the lab up to the main floor. He didn't say, I'm going to handle this one because I'm the only one who can handle it. He gets the light bulb. He hands it to that same young helper who had fallen and broken the bulb before. 
says, hey, I need you to take this up to the main floor. Can you imagine what that may have done for that young man? To say, hey, I know you messed up. That's okay. I trust you to do this. It's all right. I got your back. Can you imagine how that may have changed his life? Because you know he was heartbroken. You know he was, I just destroyed the first ever light bulb. He's going to give me another chance? Yeah, absolutely he is. When asked about it, Thomas Edison said this. He said, last time when the bulb was broken, the person's heart was broken also. It's not difficult to make another bulb, but to infuse fresh spirit into a broken heart is more difficult. He had an opportunity. It was never about the bulb. It was about the person. It's never necessarily about the thing. It's about the person. Whatever the circumstance looks like, we forgive them, we love them, and we say, you know what? I got your back. I'm going to walk this out with you. I know we messed up. I know we had problems. That does not matter. I'm going to cover you. Seven years ago, at the end, in 2016, my wife and I were so very heavily involved with our student ministry at Cultivate Church. And there were three girls who had moved here from Florida, and they didn't have any family or anything here. Um, but for whatever reason, we had just gotten close to them. And we know now the reason was God was orchestrating all this together. In December of 2016, my wife was on a mission trip, her first one to Juarez, Mexico. I get a phone call from the student pastor at the time. He says, hey, I just need to let you know there's been an incident. The girls have been taken from their home, and they've been put into foster care. He said, I wanted you to know first so you can tell Monica before word gets to her out in Mexico. So I immediately text my wife, have her call me, tell her what's going on. And I mean, there's confusion, frustration, sadness, just not really sure what to do. They get home from the mission trip on Sunday. First thing Monday morning, my wife is at the courthouse with their mother to get all this figured out, to to try and get them back together. Because if you know anything about the foster care system, it's not great, especially for for teenagers. And just as you would expect, they were completely split up and separated, not knowing anything. My wife asked, hey, can we just find a way to get them together somehow? And I said, well, you're not foster parents, and we're not foster parents. Never were, never have been. Don't ever plan on being. But the attorney said, you can file a petition. Now, it takes about six weeks to get it approved, but you can try to do that. So my wife said, well, we'll do whatever we can. We just want them to be together as they they go through this. So she does that on a Monday. They come look at our house on a Wednesday, and they are at home with us on a Friday. It's supposed to take six weeks. took a couple of days. What we thought was going to be a week or so turned into nearly two years that they lived with us. We went from a family of four to a family of seven like that, in a three-bedroom, two-bath house. Seven people, two bathrooms, two years. You can imagine the difficulty. Towards the end of 2018, things were getting much better, and they were able to reconcile back with their mother and, and move back home, which was great, and which was with the goal all from the beginning. But we had said all along that we don't know if we are in their lives for them or if they're in our lives for us. We just weren't sure. But whenever they did go home, let's just say it wasn't pretty. It wasn't great. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of bitterness. There's a lot of hatred. There's a lot of frustration. None of us handled it very well. It wasn't the most healthy way to handle it. But they had gone home, and they had essentially tried to do whatever they could to make the best out of the situation. And a lot of things were said, but my wife and I had decided, you know what? It doesn't matter. We love them. We knew that that was the right thing to do. We're going to forgive them for whatever's happened, and whatever happens, happens. See, you never really know the impact that you may have in someone's life. By just caring for them, 
being kind to them, forgiving them, you never know the impact that that can make. The seeds that you plant today, you may never see the harvest. It may take years to see the harvest, but it matters. So at the end of 2018, we haven't heard from them in forever. About a month ago, I'm sitting in my office. My wife texts me a screenshot, and it's the oldest who sent her a text message. My first thought is, great, what do they want? And it just says, hey, a memory popped up on my phone. Just want to say, I miss you. I miss the kids, Cash and Elkie. I hope they haven't forgotten who we are. My wife responded, and immediately, as soon as she hits send, she gets a FaceTime from the oldest, and they're on the phone together for an hour. And what she said is, talk about the impact. She said, hey, I want to let you know now, I'm a mother of two children, and I want to let you know how sorry I am for how we treated you. I want to let you know the impact that you guys made in our life. I want to let you know because of you taking us in, I now know how I'm supposed to parent my children. I now know how a husband and wife are supposed to love each other. I know how I'm supposed to love my children. I wouldn't have had that if it weren't for you. I just want to say thank you. I know we are horrible, and I'm so sorry for that, but you really made a difference in our lives. It was horrible. It was miserable at times. But man, Jesus has called us to love people. He's called us to forgive people. I guarantee for all of us, there's someone in our life right now who needs the love and the forgiveness that Jesus has given every single one of us. So whoever that is, man, the impact that it can make on their lives and your lives and the impact it can make for Jesus is exponential. We can never really explain it. We have to be able to forgive people, to love people, and to cover people because that's what Jesus did for us. When he's hanging on the cross, he's being beaten. He's being whipped. He's being cursed at. He's being spit on. He's having things thrown at him. He's standing there. He's hanging there. He's taking it. He says, Father, forgive them because they just don't know what they're doing. Forgive them because that's what Jesus has done for every single one of us. Listen, I want to pray for you. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes. Forgive them for what they've done. They just don't realize what they're doing. Maybe you're here, and maybe you're feeling that overwhelming feeling of life, of stuff. I want to let you know you've, you've been forgiven. That whatever that feels like, whatever burden is on your heart, whatever you're currently feeling today, you have been forgiven. When Jesus went to the cross, he forgave you. The debt was canceled. The slate was wiped clean. He said, I know you messed up, but you know what? I forgive you for that, and I love you. It doesn't matter what you've done. I'm going to cover you through every circumstance. And if that's you, that's the step. It's going to Jesus and saying, forgive me for what I have done. And you will feel the forgiveness, the love, and the cover of Jesus forever. So if that's you, you'd simply say, Father, today I'm asking for forgiveness for all of my sins. And God, today I recognize that you sent Jesus to die on a cross for me. And I recognize him as my Lord and Savior. I want to make Jesus number one in my life. And Father, for every single one of us, I know there are people in our lives that we need to forgive. 
There are people in our lives who we need to love. There are people who have tried to say they're sorry. There are people who have tried to do the right thing. And God, for whatever reason, we just cannot get rid of that bitterness and that rage. And God, I'm praying we'll give it to you because it's not how you meant us to live. It's not how you meant us to have relationships. God, I pray that those relationships will be restored. God, that you'll do a work in both parties to be able to restore the relationships in which you've created. God, I pray that you'll just help bring it to the surface and that we'll be allowed to show the same grace and the same mercy that you have done for every single one of us. And God, whenever that happens, that it will spread. It'll spread amongst our friends, amongst our family, amongst our communities. And God, so we can make heaven a bigger place. Because when you do it, we'll give you all the credit for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Can we honor Jesus this morning? Come on.